This morning we continue with the sermon series through Genesis chapters 1 through 3, reading from chapter 2 and beginning at verse 8. This is God's holy word. Let us receive it as the word of God, not as the word of man. To that end, let us seek the Lord's blessing, praying for His Holy Spirit upon us to give us ears to hear and minds to understand and souls to respond to His Word. Now to the tune of, I greet thee, who my sure Redeemer art, let us pray as we sing. of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let us hear the Word of God, Genesis chapter 2. I will be reading verse 8 and through 9 and then picking up at verse 15. It is written, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there He put the man whom He had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. To his name be all praise, honor, and glory. Amen. The first two chapters of Genesis lay the foundation for our right knowledge of God and a right relationship with him and the foundation for our right understanding of humanity's role and purpose upon the earth. Chapters 1 and 2 are foundational for a biblical world view. Chapter 1 tells us that humanity, male and female, was created in the image of God to be the Creator's royal vice regents upon the earth, to exercise dominion, that is, lordship over creation, as the visible representatives of the invisible Creator. This morning from chapter 2, we learn one way in particular that the man was to reflect the glory of God as his visible image bearer. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. 
There it is. A foundational principle of human life on earth for God's glory. Work is ordained by God. The Scripture teaches us that work is a good thing ordained by God in His good creation for His glory, for the good of humanity. There it is, even in the unspoiled paradise before sin entered the world. Now, here's the question. What is your vision of paradise? Is it an imaginary world of luxurious leisure? Paradise. Is it Margaritaville? There you are, relaxed under your cabana, frozen fruity drink in hand, cooled by the ocean breeze as you are lulled into a nap by the repetitive roar of the surf, free from all responsibility, nothing to do and all day to do it, all day, every day. Well, that might be the contemporary American vision of paradise, but you won't find it in the Bible. The Bible says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Before Adam sinned against God, you see, work is not a consequence of Adam's fall. Work is not a curse due to Adam's sin. Work is one of the very good things ordained and instituted by God in the very beginning for the well-being of humanity in His very good creation, indeed even in the unspoiled paradise in which Adam lived. Now why is this the case? Well, it follows quite logically that God ordained work for humanity because humanity, male and female, was created in the image of God to reflect His glory. And God is a worker. In the case of the first man, Adam, we might say, like father, like son. In Genesis 1 and 2, God works with power, wisdom, deliberation, creativity, order, efficiency, and good results. Creation is referred to as His work. Is it any wonder then that the man created in God's image is a creature ordained to work with power, intelligence, creativity, order, efficiency, and good results? This is a good thing, something that is good for us. It means that our lives have a purpose and a goal to glorify God and to bring blessing to others by working with the gifts and the abilities that God has given to us, to be His stewards upon the earth. Now, of course it is true, we do not live in paradise. We live on the other side of Adam's sin. We live in the world after Genesis chapter 3, in the fallen and cursed creation, 
in which there are thorns and thistles, literally and figuratively, all manner of frustrations, difficulties, disappointments, discouragements, which accompany our work. But nevertheless, nevertheless, the fall and the curse upon creation should not determine our attitude about work. As Christians, we need to have a Christian biblical worldview about work. Our view of and our approach to our work ought to be significantly different from the perspective and attitudes of unbelievers about work. It's a job. It pays the bills. We as Christians should not consider work to be a negative thing, a necessary evil, a burden on our lives, and something to be avoided if at all possible. We ought not to wish for a work-free life of leisure. Now this, by the way, is one of the dreadful satanic delusions, deceptions of the lottery and other forms of gambling. We see that the gospel of Jesus Christ shines the light of spiritual truth on our work so that we might see our work as a way of serving the Lord and bearing witness to the world as His disciples. So let's think about work from a biblical Christian perspective. First of all, as Christians, we need to think about work as more than a job and more than a paycheck. We need to think about our work as a vocation. That is, as a calling. That applies to all of us. The Protestant Reformation had a huge impact on the theology of work, how we think about work from a biblical perspective. And the impact was this, the Protestant reformers, in accordance with Scripture, taught that all work, all honest, honorable work, which does not violate God's moral law, all work, all work is holy work, which glorifies God, fulfills His purposes for the well-being of humanity on earth. The Reformation did away with the distinction between so-called sacred work and secular work. In the medieval world, the religious work of the priests was considered to be holy work, and the common work of the common people was considered to be in a different and less important category. There was this division between so-called sacred work and secular work. Unfortunately, that way of thinking is still with us today, even among Protestant Christians. So that, for example, you might say that I, Pastor John, have been called to the ministry, but you only have a job as a business executive, or an electrician, or a secretary, or attorney, or medical professional, or or bricklayer. You might say that I am serving the Lord, but that you are just making a living. I don't want you to ever say that again. I don't want you ever to think that again. 
The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it. That's foundational for your understanding of your work in God's creation. This is God's world. This is God's world. And there are different kinds, lots of different kinds of work to be done in God's world for God's glory, for the flourishing of human life. You have a God-ordained calling for work in God's creation for God's glory every bit as much as I do. There are many, 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 many kinds of God-glorifying work which, frankly, (laughs) I could never do. But you can. God has gifted you with the intellectual capacity, physical ability, emotional constitution, creative talents, social skills, as well as the personal desires of your heart that equip you to do a particular kind of work in this world for His glory and for the good of your neighbor, for the general well-being of humanity. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can have only one job your entire life. No, it doesn't mean that, but it means wherever you go, there you are. The creature that God has made with particular gifts and talents and skills, which over a lifetime can be put to work in a variety of ways to serve God in this world for His glory and for the good of others. You are called to work, and God has equipped you to work for His glory in the world, whatever that work may be. Are you a bricklayer? Are you a heart surgeon? Are you a business person? Are you an engineer? Are you a carpenter? Are you a computer technician? Are you a salesperson? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is, are you in it for yourself or are you in it for the Lord of creation? What does the Scripture say? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now this is God-centered, this is a God-centered vision of work in this world under the overall lordship of Jesus Christ, whatever you are doing, you are serving the Lord Christ. That's the perspective because God's work of creation was not His only work. God's work of creation was not His supreme work. His supreme work is His work of redemption in Jesus Christ. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord over all. Jesus is ruling and reigning. This is the gospel of His death, His resurrection, His ascension into heaven, being seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and marching through history to bring it to its glorious conclusion. And we're caught up in that if we are in Christ, if we are His people, if we are His disciples. And therefore, we are called to serve the Lord in a way that bears witness to His Lordship, whatever we do. And that is the reason that the Apostle Paul In the light of the resurrection of Jesus, in the light of Jesus' lordship overall, he wrote to the Corinthians, the scripture says to us, finally, my brothers, 
Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Does that pertain only to preaching and teaching? I think not. It's what you do, bearing witness in the world that you are serving the creator of heaven and earth, the redeemer of heaven and earth, by fulfilling your calling upon the earth. By the way, the passage from Colossians, which I just read, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, you are serving the Lord Christ, Colossians 3, that verse in its original historical context, was addressed to Christian slaves in the Roman Empire. So if their work ethic, the work ethic of Christian slaves, was to be inspired by the conviction that they were working for the Lord and not for men, with the assurance that they would receive their reward from the Lord Christ, then how much more ought our attitude about our work be shaped and inspired by the conviction that our work in this world, whatever it is, is first of all a calling in the service of God for the glory of God in response to His saving grace upon us in Jesus Christ. Now this, by the way, is is foundational to what was once known as the Protestant or Puritan work ethic. You know, some of you can remember when it used to be said, son, if you're going to be a ditch digger when you grow up, be the best ditch digger you can be. That is a profound theological statement. It expresses the biblical perspective on work. Our God is a worker for His own glory. He calls us to be workers for His glory. And therefore, our work, whatever it is, is to be consecrated to the Lord for His glory and for the good of our neighbor. Now, some of you are sitting there and saying to yourself, well, that's wonderful, Pastor John. I believe everything you say but I don't work. I'm retired. That's beside the point. That is irrelevant. You can erase that objection. Objection overruled. Because this isn't only about gainful employment. Are you a human being created in the image of God? (laughs) You got plenty of work to do and you know it. It may not be gainful employment, but it's work in God's world for God's glory. Maintaining your own home for the betterment and the beautification of your neighborhood, for the glory of God and the benefit of your neighbors. That's work. Allotting some of your time and your talents for service to others in the broader community through service organizations. That's work. I think we can all appreciate the fact that the so-called, so-called retirement years in America are for us now really a wonderful time for energetic people to pour themselves into serving the church and the day-to-day needs of the local church and the mission work of the church as well. That's certainly the case here in Covenant. Praise the Lord. That's work. That's a calling. 
at your, this time in your life. You see, it, but it's not limited to volunteer service in the community or, or in the church. It, it, includes, it includes the sacred work of helping to take care of aging parents, helping to take care of grandchildren. That's work. That's a calling at a particular time of life. When my pastor mentor, Lowell Sykes, was here for the dedication service in September, I heard him say that when he retired at age 65, he really didn't think about it in terms of retirement from ministry, but rather only that he had received another call. He didn't retire from ministry, he, 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 he simply had a different calling to work at home, taking care of his wife who had Alzheimer's. That was the work which God was calling him to do at that time. So whether you're gainfully employed or so-called retired, you have a calling to work in God's creation for His glory. And let's push it even a little further. What if you're physically limited? What if you really can't do very much requiring physical energy and mobility? Well, your work may be to engage in an intentional and consistent ministry of prayer for others, for the church, and for the world. Your work may be to give a word of wisdom or an encouraging smile to someone else to brighten their day. What's your calling? Well, there's another category, isn't there? Yes, there's another category. Some of you are thinking about it. You personally are not gainfully employed, And you're not retired, but you are working. You have a calling. You do indeed. How condescending, insulting, and stupid is it when someone asks a mother with children at home, Do you work? Good grief. Changing diapers, preparing meals, straightening up the house, reading to your children, encouraging godly behavior, disciplining sinful behavior. This is holy work. Holy work. And the evil of the extremely ideological feminism of our culture is that it has for 30 or 40 years, disrespected and denigrated the holy work and high calling of motherhood in the home. Now, of course, changing diapers, preparing meals, straightening up the house, reading to your children, encouraging godly behavior, disciplining sinful behavior is the holy work of fathers as well. Of course it is, but that's not the point right now. The point right now is that full-time motherhood at home with children is not only hard work, it is holy work, it is a high calling. And don't ever let anyone ever tell you different. 
One of our historic Reformed confessions puts it this way. It is most certain that those works which are done by parents in true faith by way of domestic duties and the management of their households are in God's sight holy and truly good works. They are no less pleasing to God than prayers, fasting, and almsgiving. This is a good time to remind fathers that although you may think of your work primarily in terms of your employment outside the home, you do also have holy work to do within your home, loving and caring for your wives, sharing in those domestic responsibilities, raising your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, which, by the way, is an exhortation given specifically to fathers in Ephesians 6 verse 4. And this comes from the principle that Adam was put in the garden not only to work the garden, but also to keep it. That is to guard it, to protect it. So you see, Adam's role as provider, protector, is still to be the role of husbands and fathers today. To provide for and to protect not only the physical well-being of their families, but also the spiritual well-being of the family. So this principle, biblical principle of work ordained by God for His glory, for our good, and the blessing of others can be placed now under the larger heading of the stewardship of all of life. The stewardship of all of life because our life, all of it, the living of our lives for the glory of God, this is really our work upon the earth. Because there's no aspect of our lives that is to be thought of as separate from our life in relation to God. Not one little bit. For Christians, all of life is the so-called spiritual life. And the spiritual life, from the biblical perspective, is all of life with nothing held, nothing excluded. And we under, when we understand that Jesus Christ crucified, risen from the dead, ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, ruling over all and coming in glory and judgment. When we understand Him to be the Lord of all, then we understand that He is the Lord of all of our life with nothing excluded. And so all of our life is to be our work for His glory. As we move into the Thanksgiving and stewardship season, In coming weeks, you receive financial pledge cards. The real questions are, who are you living for? What are you living for? Who are you working for? When you answer those questions, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, everything else falls into place, including financial stewardship which is nothing but just returning a portion of the fruit of our labor, which God has, first of all, provided for us. So faithful financial stewardship is just one way we put into action the biblical principle that our gainful work in this world is, first of all, for the glory of God and the good of others. But earlier in this sermon... I said that our work in this world reflects the fact that we are created in the image of God. God is a worker. We were created to be workers. I said with reference to Adam in the garden, like father, like son. But that doesn't take it quite far enough, does it? 
Because, remember, God's work is seen supremely not in His work of creation, but in His work of redemption. And for that, there had to be a second Adam, a new Adam, an obedient Adam, who could redeem us from the curse of Adam's sin and our own sins. Like Father, like Son. The true likeness of the Father is seen in the true Son, Jesus Christ. And He did the work which only He could do. Bearing our sins in His own body on the tree. Rising from death as the Savior of all who trust in Him. It is by His work And His work alone that we are redeemed into the new creation of paradise restored. It is in Him and through Him alone that we are brought home again into paradise. Where we will work for the glory of God. And all our work will be finally and fully set free from the thorns and thistles of this fallen world. To His name be all praise forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word of truth, which speaks to our lives and gives us true life with meaning and purpose. We thank you for the redemptive work of Jesus Christ for us, and we pray that by your grace we might offer ourselves more fully, more freely, more joyfully into your service. To the glory of your name, amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith as we say together the Philippian Creed based on Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter 2. Christians, in whom do you believe? We believe in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.